This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. Thanks to -to direct-to-consumer businesses, the rise of agritourism, and even social media, it's never been easier for consumers to connect with those producing their food. Here on the Farm Traveler Podcast, we want to connect you with businesses offering direct-to-consumer products you can try at home, agritourism sites you can visit with your family, and exciting new technologies that are changing how our food is being grown. In this episode, we'll learn how a small rice farm near Jacksonville, Florida, transformed to include an orchard, farm-to-table restaurant, an event space, and even the chance to take a hike with goats. So Scott Meyer and Lindsay Scott are the owners of Congrian Pen. In our interview today, Scott and Lindsay will explain why they decided to open up a restaurant that highlights regional produce and specialty dishes from local chefs, as well as how impactful having an agritourism hotspot has been since the start of the pandemic. We'll also chat about what Field to Fork looks like on their farm and how their many exciting family-friendly activities like fruit picking, dog days, and goat hikes are impacting their business. If you're in the Jacksonville area, you've got to check this place out. When you're done listening, head to the links in the description for all things Congree and Pin. Hope you enjoy this episode, and thanks so much for listening. All right, well, um, Scott Meyer, Lindsay Scott, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are y'all doing? Good. Thanks doing for having good. us. So you, you guys are with a very exciting place. It's called, am, 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 I, am I pronouncing it right, Congree and, and Pin? Yes, that's right. Sweet. So, all right, your tagline is wonderful. I love it. A Florida farm and restaurant dedicated to agriculture and culinary endeavors and gathering in the community to enjoy both. So what's kind of the whole background behind this place? And also kind of going off of that, what's both of your backgrounds? Sure, I can kind of start. I'll take that one, I guess. So the background is in 2014, um, Lindsay and I started kind of reimagining some farmland that my family had in Northwest Jacksonville, Florida. Mm. Um, at the time it was, you know, 
less than a cap job and what the prior use was, was in-ground uh, landscape trees, um, but that operation was shut down during the recession in 2007, 2008. And so just kind of overgrown and not a lot going on. And we just kind of have been plugging away, improving the property and trying to offer uh, the community here of Northeast Florida a place to come and get away from the buzz of the city and enjoy the agrarian experiences we have to offer. That's awesome. And so Lindsay, what's kind of your background with it? Um, so I studied graphic design and ad PR in mm. college. Um, that's where Scott and I met. We both went to TCU in Fort Worth and, uh, it's kind of come in handy for, you know, just, uh, being able to market a business. Um, without having to hire like a marketing company. Um, so that, that, that's been like a real advantage to us, I think is, is that skill set that I have, um, along with Scott's many Jack of all trades, uh, skills. <laughs> <laughs> that Jack, uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. But then of course, the rest of the quote is like, what well, it's, Better to be a master of a lot or something than that than a master of one, which I think is always a pretty good quote. Yeah, you end up having to do quite a few things to be in farming or running an independent restaurant or you know, manufacturing value-added products and things like that. And I knew a little bit about a lot of stuff getting into it. And I think I've kind of refined some of my skills and you know, mechanical and plumbing and electrical over the years. And I'm always learning something new and you know, you get better as you try things. So you got to try. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I like that. So Scott, as being the manager, like what all went into building this? I mean, it's not only a farm that you guys build or a restaurant, it's so much stuff. So like what went into the whole process of building it to what it is now? I would say, you know, it was a long and winding road. We didn't know exactly where we were going, um, mm. but we've always tried to continue improving. You know, I think out of the gate, we tried to do too much too fast. And then, you know, really the last four years, we've been really refining the things that we're doing and we've found a lot of success there. Um, but I think that, you know, you got to dive in head first and, you know, then kind of start refining and seeing what works second. So I think that, you know, we're, we're kind of happy with where we've landed. Um, and then now it's just continuing to refine and then you know, kind of being a little bit choosier about what we might want to expand next. What are some of those examples of, of things that you guys have kind of refined? I mean, you guys have, you've got a restaurant, you've got a bunch of farm stuff, you've got um, a goat hike, which or a goat greet in the hike, which I think is so cool. So what were kind of those things that you kind of discovered along the way where you kind of had to refine it a little bit? Yeah, I'd say, you know, at first we were just a farm, there was no bathroom or facility or anything like that. And we were out in the community engaging with folks more at the farmer's markets. And then over time, you know, going into the pandemic, we were offering lots of ticketed dining experiences where we kind of, you know, bring together some chefs from whether they be from Florida or from other parts of the country with local producers and highlighting them kind of to our customer base. But then with the pandemic, we had to, you know, focus on not bringing a bunch of strangers together to eat off the same plate. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we pretty much pivoted to 
a full service fine dining um, restaurant operation, um, but continuing to work with local producers to, to put everything on the menu and continue to produce more on the farm. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that kind of understanding what the guest's expectation is and, and what they want out of a farm experience. I think, you know, seven years ago, we we're offering more, you know, adventurous activities. And what we found is it's kind of hot in Florida and we're no longer <laughs> offering what was like a farm adventure walk, I think it was what it was called. And it was like a five mile, you know, through the mud kind of thing. And we're offering more, you know, pleasant activities like the goat greet where you might get rid down in one of our covered wagons to the animal paddock underneath some big shady trees and get to meet the goats and learn about them. And also in the early mornings before we open, we'll offer a goat hike uh, where people can come down and go on a, a long, you know, about a mile and a half hike with the goats and, you know, before the weather gets too warm in the afternoon. Do the goats like that? Like, because I, I know goats can kind of be ornery sometimes. So are they like friendly? Do they like the hikes or are they a little grumpy? Oh, they love the hikes. They love them. Like when, when we're close to the public, we'll let the goats out on their own to forage on the property. Mm-hmm. Um, so they enjoy the goat hikes and they, they just follow the groups. Um, we had to do a practice run and we were really like pleasantly surprised at how great they were. Um, so we don't do them very often, um, but people have to like request them. But when we do, they, they really enjoy them. I bet that's so fun. I mean, I I've really haven't heard about that before. And so I think that's so interesting and such a unique thing that you guys operation would have. I mean, goat hikes, that's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what exactly does the farm side of things look like? Like, what do y'all grow? Um, how have you grown it since you started it? So what does that side of it look like? Yeah. So the short of it would be, we really focus out of the gate on like specialty fruit and uh, mm. nut operations a giant focus, you know, since 2015 um, has been the Mayhaw tree, which is an indigenous hawthorn that produces a fruit every spring. So we're in the middle of harvesting those right now. And primarily we're using that for making jelly, but we also, mm. you know, we process it to juice and we manufacture some hard cider products as well in our winery. And so the Mayhaw hard cider is something that we release seasonally. Um, we also produce figs and blackberries, um, pears. We tried peaches, but it's a little bit too warm down here. <laughs> and really, we've kind of tried, you know, trial and error, lots of different fruit crops. But really, the figs and the blackberries and the the mayhaws have done really well. We're also producing some olives. We made our first olive oil last year. Um, oh no way! So okay. that's not typical of our area, but they've been producing um olives now in the southeast for the last you know 10 years or so it's a little bit humid for them um but there's certain varieties that do work well down here that's exciting one of my first um podcast interviews was with was with a guy in texas and he was growing olives in texas and it was like their first foray into the business and now i mean they're selling thousands and thousands of products with olives in texas so it's cool that i mean you can do that here in florida i'm in i'm in panama city florida so just a couple hours away from y'all but yeah, I don't know of anybody in Florida that grows olives, so that's exciting that it's kind of starting to take off a little bit. Yeah, and it's a really, I mean, a lot of what we do is just highlight, you know, how good things can be, like with our value-added products, you know, when mm-hmm. you're using like really fresh stuff and it's just kind of, while you can't scale it as big as some things, you know, just using really fresh ingredients and 
you know, being able to do stuff like our olive oil and things have been, you know, it's really rewarding. Would you kind of qualify your stuff as being like kind of artisan level? Cause you're making not huge batches of it, but kind of smaller specialty batches. Oh, for sure. I mean, all of our jellies, we're still, you know, cooking on a stovetop. Um, the olive oil is kind of a, when we do process it, it's kind of a, a amalgamation of other equipment that's not designed for <laughs> making olive oil. Um, mm -hmm. Because like to get started into any sort of, you know, specified olive oil production equipment, you're looking like, you know, 60 to 60,000 to $60 million or whatever. Um, so we actually use a mill we process our rice on where we mill our rice grits um, and we actually grind the olives into a paste like that. And then we use our fruit press that we typically process our mayhaws into juice with and press out the water and the oil. And then we just simply, you know, pour the water off of the bottom of the oil. And then we actually invested just a few hundred dollars in like what's typically used in like an algae laboratory uh, as a centrifuge to then clean that oil up a little bit more before packaging. So we're able to kind of cross utilize things and you got to be creative when you're, when you're doing things on that artisan level. Oh, that's so neat. I mean, that's kind of about like reusing whatever you can. Um, so like how many growing seasons does it take you guys from, I don't know, from like growing olives to making an olive oil and it's something that you're confident enough that you can sell it. So like what, what's kind of that timeline like? For a lot of your fruit products, I mean, you're really not going to have a lot for like the first five years. Um, you know, to even get to where we have enough mayhaws to be having jelly available year round, you know, that took probably about four or five years. And then with the olive oil, we haven't ever uh, sold any yet. I just made like two and a half cases last year, um, gave it away to some of the chefs in town that support what we do. You know, I, I've been using it at the house and kind of hoarding it myself. But <laughs> over time, we're going to be, you know, having more and more olives. Our trees are very young right now. They've only been in the ground for about three years. So as they come into production, you know, it's good to kind of learn like a bootstrap way to make something before you go investing in, you know, more specified equipment so that you kind of understand the process. And so that's been a big learning experience for me is you never want to go and, you know, get a bunch of capital invested in something until you've kind of figured out how to do it the hard way. <laughs> you know, that's very interesting. And I've been reading up all these articles on like, you know, the future of farming and a lot of people are talking about like, you know, these big old vertical farms that I don't know, are like 100,000 square feet. And a lot of them have been saying that the technology is there, but it's getting a little bit too complicated. And that most of these companies that, you know, are investing millions and billions of dollars into it, they're not turning a profit because they're still just trying to hone it and figure everything out. And so, I mean, you, that's a very good point that you bring up that you've got to figure out your processes before you can invest all of this stuff. And so, it seems like you guys are doing a really, really good job about that and kind of focusing on the products instead of like, you know, the processes. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that is something, especially in the, the 21st century, you know, whether it's, you know, investor capital or bank capital, um, people are pushed to just go like scale, scale, scale. And that's something that we've been, you know, blessed with here is to try to keep everything, you know, in-house and try to operate you know, off of cash flow, and you know, I've got a friend who runs a shrimp farm out in uh, Downey, California, where he's raising shrimp indoors. And you know, he was pushed pretty hard by some of his investors to, you know, forget you know the trial period. Let's like 
you know, raise like $60 million and scale the thing. But he's like, well, we haven't proven, you know, <laughs> he knows what he's doing, but he hasn't proven like that we're just going to like triple the size of all the pumps and triple the size of all the tanks and it's all just going to work out fine. So I think that in the tech kind of capital world, it doesn't translate to agriculture. I was just on a board call with the Farm Credit of Florida. It's like a young and beginning farmers board I'm on. And I was bringing up to them about, I've got a student from Colorado coming to work for me this summer. And I was asking him more about his horticulture degree. And he's focused entirely, he's going to school to run a vertical farm like indoors. He's got oh, wow. no intention of a career outside, but he does want a career in producing food. And I was asking them if they had any like feedback on loans that they had issued or things of that nature with regards to like high intensive vertical farming. And a lot of that feedback has been, you know, so far they haven't seen one that's like gone to be very successful and ended up, you know, going into default or things like that. Cause it's just so big, so fast without, you know, scaling slowly. Yeah. It's very interesting kind of thing. Cause I know so many companies, so many investment groups are kind of going into that. Even, I mean, when smaller operations like you guys are doing something that's proven that is very repeatable and that's, I don't know, just kind of more fun and more natural, I guess you could say. Yeah. So let's talk about kind of the, the culinary experiences at, at this place. So like, what are some like chefs that have come in? What are some dining options you guys have? What's that whole side of the business been like? So uh, the way we first started was, was doing these, these small, smallish, you know, maybe mm -hmm. 80, 100 people ticketed dinners. I think the very first event we ever did was um, a fish fry. And it was really fun. Um, everyone loved it. You know, like um, we, were, we were pretty involved with slow food. Um, with our local chapter. So we would like mm. host like joint um, things with them. And then with also with our um, local edible uh, magazine, Edible Northeast Florida here. Um, so we would do like ticketed dinners with uh, them. Um, and some of the chefs were, were local chefs. Like we had um, John Inceta from Orsay and Sam Efron from Taverna. And then we had eventually like um, Eduardo Jordan from uh, Seattle. Um, uh, who else do we have? Yeah, we had uh, Farrell Alvarez from down in Tampa, Florida, and yeah. David Lots Bancroft of over from Acre and Auburn, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Alabama. So a lot of like kind of the more celebrity type chefs that we were doing business with, milling, you know, custom milling rice to order for them, um, and then kind of inviting them as kind of a mixed thing, both, you know, for them to get to see our whole operation, um, but also to expose, you know, our local uh, market to these chefs that are doing really cool things throughout the country and, and working with our grains. And um, we would always also then feature, you know, another producer um, from our area that we saw as doing something cool, like sun and sky uh, mushrooms, like Eric over there started just making like producing just the best mushrooms you could imagine um, all indoor and his product was incredible. So we wanted to then, you know, translate that to him, you know, getting time with uh, both the people that are coming out to the farm, but also with these other chefs that are always looking for the best products. That's awesome. I mean, you're, you're not only like highlighting your operation, these chefs, you're like helping other farmers like here in Northeast Florida, 
kind of helping them gain traction and kind of gain an audience. So that's awesome. I mean, what are some other examples of that? I mean, you know, post COVID, you know, without doing these big ticketed dinners, it's been <laughs> a matter of, you know, sourcing and we've been able to find some really cool partners for our, our full season. You know, we do four seasons a year. We rewrite the menu. Um, and we've been able to find a partner with Quincy cattle. Um, mm. they're producing all of our beef. Um, with uh, Florida Fresh Meats. Um, unfortunately, the gentleman running at Jan passed away earlier in the month, but we're working with his children now and sourcing whole ducks and whole chickens and, and all these things. And it's really just important to establish, I think, those, those local networks um, and work with, you know, we're kind of a restaurant, so it's direct to restaurant, but I'm a big fan of supporting you know, direct to consumer agriculture because I think it's the future and it's going to be a way for there to be you know, small farms, you know, able to carve out their space, you know, within the food system. Um, you know, it's been so many years of bigger and bigger farms, uh, more consolidation. I think that the beauty of technology is able to connect, you know, smaller farms to customers that they wouldn't have been able to reach, you know, in, in years past. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, we've really been trying to like, I guess, refocus the show a little bit more on, I mean, direct to consumer and agritourism. And I mean, a lot of people, you know, Jacksonville is a really big city, but you guys are right there. And anybody in the city can go and see you guys and, I mean, support farmers and ranchers in the area. I mean, what do you think, I don't know, other other farms around the state or even the country could do to kind of build relationships with the community so that I know there, there can be more direct to consumer businesses? Yeah, my opinion on it is they've got to find their focus you know for us we've really you know found our focus in the restaurant on the farm and people experiencing the farm kind of through that lens um and then you know a lot of the other growers i work with you know you kind of fall into a few different buckets so some are going to be totally focused on producing for let's say you know nine to twelve restaurants and that's just like what they do and that's the whole business or some of them you know got away from that because they were you know more doing a CSA model and all their produce is going there or, you know, some are doing more of the market and going out to market every week and, and kind of selling all of their products there. And I think that it's very, very hard to do all three of those things. And I think that's like a misstep that some small producers will make is try to be too many different things to too many people. And I feel like, you know, even that's something that we may have done in the past, but I think that having that focus, on your market and how you're going to go and market your products is really important. And kind of going off the marketing thing a little bit, I mean, and Lindsay, you can definitely answer this one. Like what's it been like kind of marketing for you guys? Cause I mean, just looking at your website, social media, you really get a sense of what this place is and just all the opportunities there. So how important is marketing specifically for your business, especially for this one? <laughs> um, super important. So I think that one of the reasons we have been successful is because we've had a really good social media presence. Um, we've hired photographers to, you know, capture what the farm feels like and looks like. And um, we've been really interactive through social media. I think that's kind of changing, you know, now um, after the pandemic, I don't, I don't see as much engagement on social media as I used to, um, but we kind of hit it at the right time and we had, you know, got a good footing in that. And then I also think like just the products that we offer, 
they're well designed. Like the packaging is nice. Um, so I think, you know, just in itself, um, the like people buy things based on the way they look for, for pack from a packaging standpoint. Um, so that's kind of helped get our name out there. Like, um, our pecan oil, it's, it's delicious, but it also has nice packaging. So we won, um, a made in the South award from garden and gun, um, and a good, a good foods award. Yeah. A couple oh, of that's years. awesome. Yeah. And I think, I mean, yes, it's a good product, but it also has nice packaging and people shop with their eyes. So, um, yeah, I think that the whole visual aspect is really important. Um, yeah. So I hope, I hope that, that, does that no. answer? yeah, no, no, that totally does. I mean, even like looking at the website and just pictures of it, you really get a sense of this like artistry that you guys are bringing, whether that's with the dining or just the agritourism operation and stuff. I mean, I don't know. It's just so elegant. Like when I saw the website, I was like, oh, this is like a big time thing. And I, and I mean, I found y'all on Instagram and the pictures were like really hooked me just seeing what's going on in the kitchen, tastings, the farm and stuff like that. I mean, I've seen a lot of companies really struggle with like building an online brand, but it seems like you guys are like really, really succeeding with it. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. And really a lot of my focus is just, I just keep on trying to make the farm itself more visually appealing. And then mm. like what Lindsay says with, you know, working with good photographers and then capture that to translate it onto a screen or, you know, in print or whatever, um, it's just really important. No. Yeah. I can imagine. And so y'all both kind of talked about this a little bit, but kind of what really, how did COVID really impact y'all, especially with the whole restaurant side of things and the agritourism? Like what was, what was COVID's impact? And then when did y'all kind of see it kind of let up a little bit if you did? So it was just a hard kind of stop and a complete like reevaluation. We had, you know, several events that were already scheduled on the books, you know, people were getting ready to come, you know, in March, 2020, we were like, crossing our fingers, oh, this will just last a couple of weeks and we're going to still host <laughs> this giant oyster social event we had on the books. Um, you know, but it really came down to, you know, the mayor uh, here in Jacksonville, like letting us know at like 4.50 on a Friday afternoon that we're no longer allowed to operate, like effective, like this minute, we had to <laughs> walk into the kitchen, uh, let the staff know, walk out on the patio, they let the guests know to kind of finish up and that, you know, there's no longer restaurants here in the county. Um, so kind of canceling those short and near-term events, um, you know, and then trying to just see what can we do? You know, we've got a freezer, you know, full of food, a, a walk-in cooler full of food. You know, we've got, you know, thousands of pounds of rice that we're looking to mill, but, you know, our distributors no longer taking orders because every restaurant in the country is closing. So it's a very it disrupted us on pretty much every level. Um, but by July, 2020, we kind of had a plan. And as early as like April, we just decided, okay, let's like take action. And so we started offering to go food. Mm -hmm. I was like going down to the packaging store, Duval container and buying like quarts of milk, like jugs that we, you would put milk in, but I was pouring all of our draft beer into and like, <laughs> telling them to go at the farm. And we essentially started this kind of like wild west picnic program at the farm where people could come order food to go and go out on the farm and enjoy it. Um, and so it was, you know, really like nice food we we're putting out. We were running like the most skeleton crew 
we couldn't offer bathrooms at the time, uh, but we were just liquidating, you know, all of our wine inventory, all of our, you know, draft beer first, and then send the kegs back to the distributor to get uh, the deposits back and then use the deposits to buy more cans of beer and, you know, just kind of do what we could to kind of shrink the inventory down. But we found that people really were just loving coming to the farm. They're bringing chairs. They're just like, you know, it was a pretty rough time for everybody mentally and people were able to find, you know, picnicking out at the farm was just a great experience. So by July, the middle of July, we reopened um, doing, you know, socially distanced, fine dining, reservation only. And it all just came about that Resi, which is a new reservation platform, was just entering our market. And we just kind of blind faith decided, oh, we'll just go with Resi for our booking platform. They're offering free rates due to the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, whereas there's no risk to try it. And we really haven't looked back. We've just been busy. People are booking, they're coming out and enjoying the property. Um, and we just keep on trying to provide a great experience. And it's about to be two years in July um, since we pivoted that way. And it's been going really well. That's good to hear. And I mean, well, first off, it's so weird that, I mean, all this has been going on for two years now. It's absolutely wild. But I mean, I've heard so many stories about um, like, after the lockdown, everybody wanted to get outside. And so agritourism operations were booming. And so it's perfect that you guys were able to kind of capitalize on that and still keep your business going when, you know, everything was shut down. Because, I mean, that's rough. I mean, there were times where businesses, especially farmers, were like, well, we either need to pivot or we're going to go out of business. And a lot of the people pivoted and worked out pretty well. Yeah, we opened a restaurant in the summer of 2020, which is pretty <laughs> insane, but we did it and it worked and it's working. So yeah. it's been really rewarding. And then with our, the other business, the wholesale to other restaurants that really just stayed down. Um, and it's just now coming back like September, 2021 was our first month where we were like back to like before the pandemic. Um, but like going into the pandemic, we were growing really fast. And so it was really a big you know, loss of a year and a half of, of growth. And we're just now kind of getting back on track there, which which is good. I mean, I can't believe we actually made it to the other side. But, you know, a big part of our business has always been, you know, custom milling rice uh, for restaurants. And, you know, that business was completely gone for about nine months and then took 18 months to get back you know, kind of in the right direction. Man, that's wild. It took that long, but I mean, I believe it. I mean, so many restaurants are shutting down. I mean, and kind of going off that, like, what's it like building up those relationships with chefs that are trying to find unique products and you've got one, like, what's it like building up that relationship and kind of marketing your product to them? Well, it's always been a lot of fun. I mean, there's been times like, you know, in the early days where I would just be on like a low budget road trip and we would, you know, not have appointments and just walk in the back door and start telling them about our rice. And I'm sure we were pretty annoying, but a lot of the people, you know, we weren't just going to places that wouldn't be receptive. We were, you know, selecting, you know, our targets wisely, but we've made such great relationships with so many chefs over the years and whether it be over email or in person, you know, getting them out to the farm is always a great pleasure. And uh, yeah, that sort of thing, you know, it's been one of the big losses, I think, of the of the pandemic is that, you know, one on one connection, you know, with those customers. And then 
it's also tough, you know, restaurants are struggling nationwide and, you know, they're not necessarily all looking for like a custom milled rice product when there's something cheaper available when they're trying to make their ends meet. So I think that's a lot of the reason why our especially, you know, direct to restaurant products, you know, took almost two years to kind of rebound um, because it's kind of the first thing to take off the menu um, at a lot of these places. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I mean, what would you say is kind of the percentage of chefs that like to visit your farm before they buy your products? Oh, I'd say like early on, it was like 100%. And then over time, <laughs> that number goes down, right? So yeah, when you're brand new and, you know, in 2014 and 15, you know, it was almost mandatory. And, um, you know, we've been able to partner now with a, a fresh seafood distributor that like really gets our product um, mm-hmm. and like the fresh milled nature of it. And that's been a great partnership. So it's kind of, you know, been a lot less of that one-on-one connection with chefs um, outside of, you know, through social media um, or that sort of thing. But it also makes the business itself much more viable because, you know, before we were driving around, you know, all over like five counties, you know, delivering like five pounds of rice here and 10 pounds of rice there. And that doesn't really work in the long run. but now we're working with uh, Halpern Steak and Seafood, um, probably going on four or five years now. And you know, when we went in to look at the whole thing, you know, are we going to do this? You know, partner with a distributor. The best thing was that these people, they're taking the freshest seafood and moving it all around their market area. And so they understood, you know, fresh milled rice. They like were able to understand like fresh is like the selling point. And we thought that they'd be a great partner. You know, it actually travels to their facility and stays in the air conditioned space and then, you know, goes out just the same way as, you know, a nice, you know, loin of tuna or something would get delivered to a restaurant. So it's been a great partnership, but you do lose some of that one-on-one connection with the chefs. Yeah. I mean, that's so cool that at least in the beginning, you were really able to have them all out and visit. And I mean, hopefully things will get back to that, but that's so cool. I love like Especially anytime my wife and I go to a restaurant, like I love just seeing like, oh, this is from so-and-so farm. Like it's so cool when you can see these chefs really care about the ingredients and they they love sharing that story about where the food came from, farmers that they're supporting and stuff like that. I mean, I think stuff like that is really growing because I I don't know, like I've kind of noticed that more and more on menus. It's like, oh, hey, this cheese is from Tillamook in Oregon or something, or this rice is from you guys' farm. So it's cool that that's kind of being the norm for smaller scale restaurants. Oh, for sure. And I think, I think within independent restaurants, it's, you know, becoming a standard of, you know, how's your sourcing? And I think it's consumer driven. Mm. Um, I think chefs have always been interested in supporting local agriculture and finding really unique products for their menus. And I think it's, you know, whether it's their own bottom line or their investors and, you know, having the consumer say, I'm willing to pay for this, you know, quality, um, support local agriculture. I think that it all comes from that end. So kind of going off the consumer thing, like what's the feedback been from people that visit you guys? I mean, are they just, obviously they're blown away by the scenery, but like, are they really learning about kind of the whole um, field to field to um, table? Like how is, what's their response has been like? I think a hundred percent it's a spectrum. So Mm. you've got people that are like wanting to know about the microbes in the soil or (laughs) super like they're down to like the cellular biology of what they're eating. Um, and you've got some people that are just like, Oh, a sunset. This is great. (laughs) Um, and it's really everywhere in between, but I think that, you know, really what we try to cater to is just relaxed, really great service, 
you know, amazing food and obviously just a beautiful setting. And, and that seems to be what's working for us the best right now. Um, you know, like I said earlier on the agritourism, like my experience early on was I would try to give like really specialized, like very hands-on, like here's like your knife, we're going to be like grafting trees, but that would be, you know, poorly attended and not many people would want to come. And then things like, oh, learn about, you know, the chickens or whatever, everyone's all signing up for that. So, you know, you have to kind of, you know, see where your consumers are and, and what they're looking for from an experience and then try to adapt to that. Because if all I did was offer kind of like tree nursery propagation classes, we wouldn't probably have a very successful business. <laughs> that, that's so interesting that, I mean, there's been such a range like, oh, hey, like what's your soil types like versus like, oh my gosh, the sunset, I just want to take pictures of it. I mean, that's yeah. so fun. I mean, I feel like if you're interested in anything like farming or sunsets or whatever, like, I don't know, agritourism operations are perfect. And I mean, would you say that the the animal things, the animal activities definitely have more traction than like, like you said, the propagating? Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, people, people love their animals and, and we try to do it, you know, really responsibly. We don't really book very many of them, but no, a lot of it's really about our animals actually having something more fun than the normal. So, you know, with, with the goat hikes or even with the goat greets, you know, they're getting a little bit more attention, maybe an extra snack. Um, but, you know, Lindsay um, is a big time animal advocate and, you know, is always looking for, you know, ways to improve their lives here on the farm. I bet. And I also saw a thing which I think is super cool. Y'all also have canine field days. Is that right? We do. Yeah, they're super fun. Um, we just got a, a puppy recently. Um, so they've been really nice for us <laughs> to take our dog to. Um, but yeah, we do them um, a couple of times a month. We're going to stop soon because it's going to get too hot. But yeah, um, they're super fun. It's really cool to see all of these dogs just running all over like 100 acres. <laughs> oh my gosh. Great. I bet they absolutely love it. That's so fun. And then, I mean, y'all also do sunset cruises. Is that right? No, not like cruises, cruises, but like, you know, with a tractor and a trailer. Yes. Yeah. So the farm is pretty big and it was something I came up with. I'm not sure when in the last, you know, three years or so, man, like it's just beautiful back here, but no one ever walks <laughs> all the way back there. So we started doing the sunset cruise. And at first we got a lot of questions about like, where's the boat or like, how do you, where do you get on the boat? And maybe we still do. Lindsay does a lot of the yeah. communication, but we just take them out to our back pasture where we, uh, pretty much have a big open field, some large oak trees, and it's just a great view of the sunset and a big open sky. And uh, people just really enjoy it. It's kind of, you know, grab a glass of wine and hop on the wagon and, and kind of unwind, you know, before, during, or after your, you know, your dining reservation. And it's been a lot of fun. They've been popular. I bet it has. I mean, that's so fun. I mean, you know, you love um, hay rides or just getting on a tractor and just driving around the farm. I mean, that's always super fun. My grandpa did that when I was growing up and it was just, I don't know, it's just something like so simple and fun about it. And so that's exciting that people can go there and do that and kind of, I don't know, have some fun, relax in the process, have some wine on a tractor. I mean, that's not an everyday thing. That sounds like a very special, fun occasion. Yeah, we enjoy, we enjoy hosting it. And I think everyone enjoys it, especially if they can take a drink onto the wagon. I mean, it's like a perfect way to like start your dinner reservation. Yeah, that's true. That's not bad. And I mean, y'all also offer, as if you're not busy enough, you also have weddings, dinners and celebrations, nonprofit events, all that stuff there too. Is that right? 
That's right. We do, so, yeah. What's that like kind of, I don't know, like making sure your your the wedding venue is all up to snuff? Like what's that all like? So um we close the entire farm whenever we have a private event. Um so right now, um like during the summer, we hardly have any. Like the biggest seasons are like March and April and October and November. Um, so we'll have quite a few weddings and private events then. Um, we're actually building um, a new space soon. So we'll be able to offer like a space for private events without having to close the farm entirely. So we can still have our restaurant service going on while people can rent the private space the new private space for, for their private event. Um, so hopefully I'm building's really hard right now, but we're hoping maybe by the end of 2023, uh, we can have that space available, but we'll see how yeah. the backlog goes. We'll how see. Happen. Everything takes longer than you think, but, uh, I think that we are on track to do something in the next year. Or so we've really been, you know, our restaurant, you know, the the covered and the open dining area is very large. And so, you know, for any smaller corporate events and stuff, it's, you know, a little bit big for what it's being used for. So that's kind of the goal with with this new space is something that's a little bit more intimate. Um, and then also to be more all seasons, you know, to have a an indoor space um, that's a little bit larger than our current indoor space. I mean, that's smart. I mean... People that don't live in Florida don't understand how hot it gets in the summer. And I mean, it's just miserable sometimes. I mean, like I I loathe outdoor weddings in the summer because it's just so hot. And so it's great that you guys are, I mean, you're working on indoor space, but then also most of the weddings are like in the cooler parts of the year. And so that's so fun. Um, well, this has been super interesting. Whenever my wife and I have time to go to Jacksonville, we're going to go and visit you guys because I think this place is beautiful. And we're going to have to take our golden doodle because she absolutely loves exploring. And so this will be super fun. Um, so if people want to visit you guys, maybe they're in Jacksonville, they want to visit you. Where can they go? How can they contact you guys? And like, where can they get more information? So you can make a dining reservation on Resi and you can make agritourism reservations on our website at congreenpen.com. Um, there's a lot of information on our website, including a link to Resi. So the best way to get in touch is through our website um, and also make reservations there. Deal. Well, we'll link all that stuff in the description. Um, yeah, I, I've, I saw the picture of Resi. I don't know if I've used that before. I think I've used like Open Table or something, but I've heard really good things about Resi. You guys are, I've interviewed several people that have mentioned Resi before, so that's exciting. Yeah, it's really similar to Open Table. It's just a little bit newer. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the the user interface is a lot better than Open Table. Um, there's it's like a lot more detailed and we we've really enjoyed using it. I mean, I I think it's great. Well, that's exciting. Well, um, I really appreciate it. Scott, Lindsay, thanks so much. Best of luck to you guys. We'll have to visit you guys at Congregating Pin someday soon. Um, thanks so much for being on. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Farm Traveler podcast. Be sure to check out Congree and Penn at all the links below in the description. And of course, if you're in Jacksonville, go check them out. Allie and I are going to try to go over there sometime soon and hopefully take our pup Sadie to a dog day. So we'll see how that goes. If you're new here, thanks so much. We hope you enjoy this episode and consider subscribing wherever you're listening to, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, wherever that might be. We have new episodes every week, and we thank you for listening. And of course, to all of our longtime listeners, thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it, and we'll see you next week.